Go ahead and be seated. So two moms were sitting at a park bench next to a playground, and one of the mothers had her six-month-old child and was feeding her a bottle. And the other mother sitting next to her, it was an easy, instant connection because she's like, oh, we use the same kind of bottles that you guys use. And oh, really? Yeah. And they start talking and they say, oh, we use reusable, reusable washable diapers. And oh, absolutely. We should save the environment. And they're just talking commonalities, commonalities, commonalities. Thing, things just, they're, they're just so similar. And then she says, well, how old is your baby? And she goes, six. She's six months old. And okay. And how old's your baby? Uh, oh, my baby, yeah, he's still using those same kind of bottles, same diapers, but he, he's 15. 15 months old? No, he's 15. And in fact, look at him over there. Oh, his diaper's full. I'm going to go help him change it. I'll be right back. If you saw a 15-year-old wearing a diaper and drinking from a bottle, you would be like, there's either something wrong with him or something wrong with her. But something is evidently wrong in a situation where a 15-year-old healthy, normal boy would be drinking from a bottle and wearing a diaper. We recognize that there is a maturity process that should happen. And if it doesn't happen, then we're all worried about what's going on. Today, we're going to look at some passages. And, I, and if you're new here today, I hope that you will just on, on, on borrowed faith from other people, hear me that I'm a pretty kind and gentle guy. And when I teach, I, I try to teach from a position of humility and let people grow at their own pace. And today's message might sound a little bit harsh. And I'm aware of that. But I also, I'm going to give you straight scriptures. We're, we're going to use eight different passages so that you know I'm not like pulling from weird context here. But God was very clear in regards to the way that a church should grow and a process that exists from moving from immaturity to maturity. And today's message, it, I'm calling spiritual, and you'll kind of determine how you read it. It's either, uh, you know, spiritually unmature or spiritually immature. And the way that you read it will depend on the way that you are. And so today, the first passage that I want to begin with and just highlight that there, there's, there is a time for what is described in Scripture as spiritual milk, the basics uh, of being spiritually new and not, not understanding a whole lot. And from 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter was writing to the church and he said, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Peter's writing and he uses this, this illustration of needing milk. And we, we all get it. If we've parented, we understand. It's the most basic, the most easiest thing. And spiritually what he's describing, he's talking about a person who understands the need for repentance, a person who understands that Jesus died on the cross and paid for the sin, a person who understands that God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the basics. And it's good to crave that and understand that right at the beginning. But as Peter continues to write in 2 Peter, we're talking a little while later, he writes back and he says, and we'll put this on the screen, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. That there's a spiritual milk that you should 
crave, that you should desire to just know the basic fundamental things at the beginning of your faith moving forward, but then you need to grow in grace and knowledge. When I say grow in grace and knowledge, that, that might be kind of hard to understand because the way that the term grace or charis in the Greek is used in the way that it's translated into English. And just for your knowledge sake, we have the original manuscripts, we have original, just thousands of copies from, from Greek and Greek is the original language that the New Testament was written in for the most part. And, and so the word charis is used when it's involving spiritual gifts or spiritual things. And when it says grow in grace here, we, we can misunderstand that just based on the way the English language is. I'll compare it to this. If you had a diary and, and you were journaling in your diary and you said, dear diary, every day for the last 10 days, I've accidentally butt dialed my pastor, the end. And you close your diary and it sits there for a thousand years. And then someone from a different culture who speaks a different language opens up your diary and when they see butt dialed, they get butt dialed and booty called confused. <laughs> because basically it's the same word, butt dial, booty call, must mean the same thing, right? And so when they read it, dear diary, I booty called my pastor every day for the last 10 days. They will believe something that is not true about you and your pastor. All right? Understanding the way that original language is translated, it matters. And I'll just tell you, if you've never done this, this might be a great thing for you to try this week. If you go to a website like studylight.org or Blue Letter Bible, there's lots of different websites out there. You can actually click and it's, it's called Interlinear Bible. And when you click Interlinear Bible, it'll show you the, your passage in English and you can actually click on one of the words. And when you do that, it'll show you the word in Greek. And it'll also show you all the other places in scripture that word is used. And so if you're ever confused on a passage, you can actually really easily dig into what does it actually mean. And it's interesting when you go to 1 Corinthians and you read the description of spiritual gifts, if you open that up in interlinear Bible, when it says spiritual gifts, you'll actually see it puts gifts in parentheses because in Greek, it doesn't actually use the word for gifts there as it's describing spiritual gifts. And that might seem strange in your mind. That's because it uses the word for spirit there. Uh, it, if you've ever used uh, mechanical tool, tools and you have pneumatic tools, that, that's where the word pneumatic, that, that comes from, from the Greek of, of wind, which is the word that's used for spirit. And it's pneumatikos um, that, that's used in the Greek when it refers to spiritual gifts. The other word that's used when it refuses to, when, it use, when it's referring to spiritual gifts is charisma or charis or charismata. And, and it's that all that same basic word that is built off of charis, which means grace. And this is, this is important to know because when scripture tells you to grow in grace, we think, oh, we just grow in the love of God. Like I just need to grow in my understanding of just how much God loves me. When what was being intended in, in the letters to the church, when it tells you to grow in grace, it's saying the things of the spirit that God has given you, the gifts that he's given you, the graces that he's given you, the spiritual gifts are referred to as graces that God gives you. God gives you a grace for serving. God gives you a grace for speaking. God gives you a grace for praying for other people. The things that the Spirit empowers you to do. 
That's a grace that God has given you. And so when he's writing to the church and he's saying, grow in your graces, he's not saying, grow in your knowledge and your understanding of the love of God. He's saying, grow in the things that you practically do for each other that God is enabling you to do. And to grow in those graces, it takes a living out of faith that says, I may not know how to do this completely right yet, but my desire to honor God pushes me to just try. I may not exactly have the perfect words to pray for you, but I just, I'm gonna pray for you. I might, I might not know how to serve you to the best that someone could, but I'm gonna try to serve you. I may not know how to counsel you, but I'm gonna trust that God will give me the words and I'm gonna just encourage you, encourage you, encourage you. Grow in the graces. And, and he says, grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus our savior. Now, knowledge, it's so incredibly important for you to add to your knowledge, but I always want to caution when I speak on growing in knowledge because the American church, just the American society, we love the accumulation of knowledge. And while we are accumulating knowledge, it is such an excuse, a pass for, well, I can't do that yet because I'm still growing in knowledge. And I just want to caution you on that. Like knowledge just of itself, like we have to study and show ourselves approved. We have to add to our understanding, but don't for a minute believe that it's an excuse. Well, I'll share about my faith when, I, when I'm more eloquent in how I can present it. God wants to make his power on display through your weakness. I'll, I'll pray more boldly once I've, I've got to see and I know for sure that God will always do what I expect him to do. No, go ahead and pray even with your insecurities and, and even pray, God, you know, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And, and the calling to grow in knowledge, like it's so important that we don't wait until we think that we have a PhD or a master's degree before we start living out our faith. It's not healthy for you. And in fact, one of the unfortunate things that can happen around the accumulation of knowledge is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, the second half of that verse. It says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. Love is superior to knowledge, but we still need to grow in knowledge. But th this is the thing that I also see happen. Um, Christians will think the more I know, then immediately the better Christian that I am. And I, there, there's a difference between knowledge and comprehension. Like, you know, knowledge, like I know that tomato is a fruit. Like that's knowledge. Comprehension is like tomato is a fruit, but you don't put it in a fruit salad, right? Like knowledge is I can repeat back to you a verse about peace, comprehension is in the middle of the storm, I, I can experience and feel the peace of God. And, and the goal is not just knowing and repeating, the goal is comprehending the knowledge so that it infiltrates the way that you use the graces and the opportunities that God gives you. Like that, that's really growing in knowledge. It's not just collecting dates and times and places, but it's learning that this information will change the way that I live. And that's what we're called to. And, and so we're, we're told we must grow in the grace of knowledge and grow in the, in the graces that he's given us. We can't just stay where we were. We can't just stay in the infancy of our faith development. First Corinthians chapter three, he's writing to the church in Corinth. And I want you to understand that this letter that he's sending to the church, he was there five years previous helping the establishment of the church. And now he's writing back to them five years later. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. 
thank you. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Woo! <laughs> Encouraging word from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth here. But he's shooting straight with him. He's saying, it's been five years and you haven't progressed and the gospel is good. The spirit of God is powerful. The calling from the teachings of scripture are clear and yet you remain right where you've been. It's not good, it's not healthy, you have to progress. And he's saying, I have to speak to you and reason with you like carnal Christians, like people who only see things through the framework of this world. It's like, if I'm trying to tell you that ha having sex outside of marriage is wrong, then it's like, you shouldn't do it because you might get an STD. And it's like, I'm trying to have this argument from a worldly perspective to make you aware of the risks and why God says not to go outside of his design for that. And that's how, how you speak to someone who is of this world. And that's what he's talking about that. When he's saying, what I want, the way that I want to talk to you is to say, your, your closeness with God should be so personal, so, so tangible, so, like the feeling that you can touch it, like the closeness of God should be just present in your life in a way that you would never step out of his design for sex because you would say, I, I just, I wouldn't want to remove myself from the presence of God like that. Like I wouldn't want to damage my relationship and my fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Like I would never step outside of God's design in that way because what it would do with my relationship with God and my ability to give a testimony to other people who are outside the church. Like that is the spiritual conversation regarding why I only keep sex within the confines of marriage. And we understand the fleshly argument and we understand the spiritual one. And he's saying, church, I should be able to talk to you through the spiritual lens of things. You should have that wisdom and understanding and that recognition of spiritual occurrences in your life. Like we don't wreck our capacity to pray and see God move in our life. For like in the Old Testament, when Jacob gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew, it's like, what are you thinking in that moment? That King David would just wreck his life for an affair with Bathsheba. Like, like these moments where people, they'd lose sight of this reality of God working through their life. And I'll compare it with, with this too. When I'm around someone who I don't know well yet, and then they find out that I'm a pastor, like they act like they often act all weird. Like just say weird things, explain weird things because they're, they get nervous around the title of pastor. And I, I try to assure them like, you know, they're apologizing for how they were talking. I'm like, don't, don't worry about it. Like, it's okay. Like my judgments are always off. Like my, my, my life experience, I'm not offended by what you do and what you say. Like I'm not over you. I'm not in control of you. I'm not sitting in judgment of you but it, it shows me something about how they see life in the world in eternity. 
when someone who's a non-Christian or especially if someone who's a Christian acts that way. Because I, I want to strive to live my life in a way that I don't care who's watching me because I know like what matters is what God thinks of what I'm saying. Like I, I want to live my life with the reality of my heavenly father, the reality of heaven and hell. I wanna live my life in a recognition that as scripture says, I will be judged for every idle word that I ever speak. I wanna live my life with the reality that I'm gonna explain my actions and choices and investments before Jesus one day. And so I'm not worried about what y'all are thinking. I'm worried about what God is thinking. And when you have this framework that you recognize that God cares about how you live, other people's opinions no longer really matter because their expectations, they're here a second and gone a second, but God, what he thinks, it matters forever. So one of the things about spiritual maturity is begin, beginning to recognize that I'm accountable to God. I'm not, not accountable to men. So I need to mature. I need to grow. I need to not think about things through a, a fleshly or carnal perspective, but through a heavenly, eternal perspective. Hebrews chapter five, this is the apostle Paul writing to the church again. A little bit different situation. You'll hear a little bit of a different tone because this has been 30 years. He's writing to a church where some of the people in the church actually would have seen Jesus crucified. They've been following Jesus for 30 years. It's been 30 years since his death and resurrection. And he's writing to the, to the Hebrew people and he. And he says this in Hebrews chapter five, verse 11. He says, there's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. <sighs> You've been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like, babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. It's interesting because you'll see there's times where you might learn a passage, but you may not understand yet how it applies to your life circumstances. One of the things is that through training, through study, through application, through asking questions, through fellowship, through Bible studies, you'll have a passage move from something that you could repeat or something that you know about to something that you can actually apply to your situation. And, he, and the apostle Paul is writing to the church here and he's saying, you, you've heard things and you know things, but you're not applying things. You, you've been at practice in this for a long time, but you have not propelled anywhere. I see things like this happen in the church because there's a misconception about what it means to be spiritually growing. And I'll compare it to, I'll compare it to this. If I decided that I wanted to become a really good soccer player and I said, I have a plan to do it. And you said, okay, Paul, tell me your plan for becoming a really good soccer player. I said, my plan is that I'm not gonna play baseball anymore because I'm sorry, baseball is boring. Sorry, that's my opinion. Say, well, Paul, how is not playing baseball gonna make you a better soccer player? Well, you know what else? I'm gonna be done playing football and pickleball and hockey as well. I'm cutting all those out. You gonna play any soccer? No, I'm just gonna not do the other things. 
hate to tell you, Paul, that's not going to help you become an actual better soccer player. So many people, they try to live their faith and they say, I'm going to become a better Christian by just not doing things. And listen, the call to holiness is important. And following after God with your whole heart and not going outside his lines for scripture, that's important. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying some Christians, they're like, I'm just not going to do the bad stuff and that's going to make me a great Christian. You're missing 99% of living out your faith before God. Because if I want to become a better soccer player, like I've got to do some drills with my feet. I've got to spend some time actually playing with the ball and working on it to where I develop an ability to live out my faith. Because you're not going to become a better Christian by just being an isolationist. If you go hide yourself away in the woods from society and all of its sins, it's not going to make you a better Christian. To become mature in your faith and your thinking, you need to study. You, you need to be in fellowship. You need to be in prayer. You need to be asking questions. It's just like playing soccer. If I say, I want to be a great soccer player, but I don't ever want to take a shot and miss the goal. I want to be a great soccer player, but I don't ever want to lose a soccer game, so I'm never going to sign up for a league and play. I don't want to get my uniform dirty and sweaty, and so I'm not going to run but I really want to be a great soccer player. So I'm quitting all other sports. It's not going to work. And if you try to live your life, your faith out in a way that you just, you don't do the bad stuff. Listen, if you really want to get the bad stuff out of your life, start to do the things that will actually make a difference. Like getting in close fellowship where you have a friend that you give permission to say, hey, how are you really doing? How's your intimacy with God? How are you using your influence for the kingdom of God? How's your integrity? Give someone permission to ask you those questions. Actually take steps of faith where you put your hand on someone else's shoulder and you pray for them. As much as you may stumble over the words, just pray because God doesn't need your eloquence to answer a prayer. So many people, they, they become spiritually dull because they... Just stay stagnant and they, they, they refuse training. Through training, they have the skill to recognize the differences between right and wrong. You want to get your life right, expect there to be some training that has to occur in it. 30 years they've been following Christ and he wrote to them that way and, and compared them to babies, compared them to being dull. May that not be the case with this church and may this not be the case with you. I want you to have a recognition that when you look back, has your faith developed and grown from what it was five years ago? And I want you to set a high expectation for what you think your faith and your life and your family and your career should look like five years from now. And it's gonna require training to progress forward. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young pastor leading a church, and he gives them a description of what a mature believer, what a leader in the church should look like. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, 
how can he take care of God's church? Some of those character qualities that were expected in a mature person and a mature believer, aspiration to make a difference. Desiring that position, it's a good thing to desire to serve in the church and to serve in a position within the church. That's a great aspiration to make a difference. They must be considerate of how they live. It says that they must be above reproach. They must be faithful to their spouse. They must exercise self-control. They must have a good reputation. They have to care about people. They should be able to teach. They should not be controlled by money or alcohol and they should manage their family well. And I wonder as we read that, how you feel you're doing on a list like that. And I understand it's a high list. He goes, that's the list for overseers and elders. He goes through and he speaks about the list for deacons and deaconesses as well, which have some differences in it, but they're very similar. I'm gonna tell you right now, in this church, we need more people to step up to serve as elders, to serve as deacons, to serve as deaconesses. And you might hear that list and say, well, I'm just not there yet, Paul. Well, it's time to train. It's time to intentionally develop. It's time to move out of stagnation and begin the process of actually growing into that person that God has called you to be. Because your church needs you to be that, because your family needs you to be that, because your neighbors need you to be that, because you have been called to be a light into this world. Band, if you guys come up, I'll begin to wrap this thing up. When Jesus was teaching in Matthew 13, he gave a parable about how the gospel message like seeds fell, fell along different places. It, it fell along the path. It fell among thorns. It fell above around good soil. And I'll put verse 22 up on the screen. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns, this is Jesus explaining his teachings to his disciples. He said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. I think that this is just such a great illustration of what happens in the faith of so many, especially in our culture. It's like, I know God is there and he's good and I get the elementary growth of that he died on the cross for me. But when it gets into my faith spilling over into the way that I live, treat my family, work in my career, care for my neighbor, when it gets into my faith getting in any of those other places, I got too many concerns, too many things to do, too many things that choke out my faith. My morning is just far too busy for Jesus. My evenings are far too crowded to spend time with Christ. I have no time for it. And our faith just gets choked and choked out. And especially in this illustration of there, there being thorns, it reminds me of later in the New Testament when we're told that you know the, the, the word of God is like a sword. And it's like, as a Christian, you know, we're told that we have a sword and we have a word of God. And I'll compare the way that the word of God gets used. I have this sword. This is, this is mine. That's right. I carry it every day for general protection. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I got it in Mali. I had a choice between buying a dress or a sword. And so I got a sword. Um, it's not sharp. I've never used it. It's never been used for anything other than decoration. It looks pretty cool, I think. Um, it's fun to have in the office, but it's ornamental. And you might be like, well, I have the word of God in my life. I have you know, the sword of the spirit in my life, um, but it's been ornamental. It's like on a shelf, it's sitting by the wall. 
It's not being used to clear out thorns. I have, a, I have a machete at home that I use to clear out thorns. Not this. The word of God is supposed to be more like a machete and less like an ornamental sword. And if you're not using the word of God, you're not reading it on a daily basis, if you're not allowing it to have the authority to clear things out of your life, things that aren't even bad things, there are good, fine nothing wrong with the things that you might need to say, I don't have time for this right now because I have to have time for my relationship with God. I don't have time for this right now because I have to have time for my small group. I don't have time for this right now because I have to have time for my neighbor. And it's like, we can let the thorns grow or we can clear it out and make room for God. Some of you are called to serve in a higher capacity within this church and within this community but before you can do it, you're gonna to have to clear the thorns out. And so I'm gonna pray as I close this message and I'm gonna warn you because you might wanna run from this prayer. But I'm gonna ask God to convict your heart and your mind to speak to you of anything that needs to be cleared out so that you can make room for him in your life, to work in you and through you, to move you from immaturity to maturity. And I say one of the, the big differences between the spiritually mature people and the spiritually immature people is that those who mature end up making space for the training, making space for the growth. That's what I want for you. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit, would you just speak to our hearts and our minds right now? Would you bring to mind just anything that's taking up more space than it should, space that should be occupied by you. And because you are Lord, because you have authority over us, because we trust you and because we know that you love us, we will listen and respond. And so as you bring to mind anything that needs to be cleared out, we give you the authority and we follow where you lead. So speak to our heart now, bring to mind that thing that needs to change so that we can grow, so that we can experience the training that you would have for us so that we could move towards the maturity that you desire in Jesus' name. Amen.